Good morning. We have had some really monumental and historical days uh, in the life of Gospel Community Church. Um, the, uh, the, the most significant one I, I can think of off the top of my head would, would obviously be uh, the, the day of the conception of the church when, uh, when God called us to, to plant and, and start this church. I, I remember that day uh, like it was yesterday. My wife and I were terrified and had no idea what we were doing as we set out to plant the church and still don't too much. But um, that, that, was a, that was a really historic day for, for the life of, of our church. I, I remember uh, the day that we uh, formed our, our core group officially, that, that insane group of people uh, who, who came along with us and said, you know what, we, we want to be a part of uh, starting this church with you guys. We, we want to be a part of seeing what God is going to do in and through uh, Gospel Community Church. And, and we, we're in, and, and, and I remember making that core group official, and, and that was a, a very historic and, and monumental day uh, for our church. I, I remember um, the, the day when we said, hey, we're going to have our first new members class, and, and, we, and we gathered people in my living room, and we explained to them who the church was, and what we believed, and what we were about, and we signed covenants, and, and, and I think it's been a historic day for the church every time we've had a new members class, and, and, and I think about uh, the, the first day we set up a horse trough in the parking lot, and, and uh, if you, for those of you who don't know, you're like, why did you do that? Um, we, we do that because, uh, you know, we, we run things on a low budget here, and we had to have a baptismal, uh, so we, we put a horse trough in the parking lot and baptized people there, and, and we've done that every year, and, and those are um, very monumental days uh, for the life of, of this church. I think about the day when, when we got involved with international church planting uh, as we began to support uh, a church plant in Scotland. And, and, and those, those days, those historic days in the life of a church show something. Here's what they show. When there's life in a church, the life that is there is only because God put it there. There can be no life, breath, movement, growing and going in a church unless God is at work. And so we look back at these historic days, which, which God has blessed us with, and that lets us know and that shows us that God is at work in this church. Friends, I don't want to be involved in a church where God isn't at work. But the good news is God is at work in this church. And today we embark on yet probably the most significant, the most historic day of this church as we bring onto eldership, as we install a new pastor, David Patton. So this is an amazing, very exciting historic day uh, for our church. So today is going to look a little bit different than what we usually do. So I'm going to walk us through a passage on eldership. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to this with, with, the, um, with the thought that probably most of us weren't raised in a church that, that had what we would consider a biblical form of church government, a, a biblical elder board. I know I wasn't raised in a church like that. And so um, I, I want to walk us through this text and talk about what an elder is, because maybe some of you guys are looking at David Patton and thinking, he, he doesn't look very elderly, right? There's... There's even older people in the room. What's, 
What's the deal? Why, why do we even use this language of elder and elder board? It all kind of sounds strange to us. So what I want to do is walk us through this text. Then we're going to bring him and his family on stage. We're going to lay hands on them. We're going to pray for them, publicly install them. And then he is going to address the congregation. So listen, today you guys won the jackpot. Okay, you got two sermons and a potluck. Okay, so... That, I mean, if I have nothing better to offer you than that. You got two sermons for the price of one and potluck today. Congratulations, you won all the cash and prizes. So if you would, in your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Get out your smartphone, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Get this text in front of you. We're going to be running quickly because as you and I both were smelling the food, so I am eager to preach as fast as I can so we can get to eat. Amen? Amen. So... Get this text in front of you so we can move through it as quickly as possible and start eating as soon as possible. So today we want to seek to answer the question, what is an elder and what does an elder do? Listen to this. In every church leadership structure under Jesus Christ, there should be elders. In every church leadership structure... Under Jesus Christ, there should be a board, group, team, what do you want to call it? There should be elders. And here's my reason why. The reason why I make that statement is because every known church in the New Testament had elders. Is that a pretty good reason? Pretty good reason. The, the Bible is our authority. The Bible is what sets the precedent. The, the Bible is what we submit ourselves under. So as we're thinking about how are we going to run uh, Jesus' church? Jesus has called us to plant this church. Here we are. We're, we're, we're a, a church under the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how should it be formed? How should it be structured? Um, who should be in charge of it? Who should run it? How do decisions get made? Well, when we're answering that question, we go to the Bible, and the Bible clearly, roundly, um, solidly affirms that under Jesus Christ, there should be a group of elders. Again, my reason is because every known church in the New Testament had elders. That's the word that it uses. That's the term that it uses. If you don't believe me, let's just start in Jerusalem and geographically move out from there and look at all of those churches. And let me show you that every known church in the New Testament had elders. The church in Jerusalem, listen to this, Acts 15, it seemed good to the apostles and elders. Moving out from there to the church in Ephesus, Acts 20, 17, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders. Now the church in Crete, Titus 1.15. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might appoint elders to all the churches that James wrote to. James is writing to all the churches that are in the dispersion, meaning all of the churches, all the Christian churches everywhere that are not in Palestine. Here is what James has to say. Let him call for the elders of the church. If, if anyone is sick, let him call for the elders of the church. James is assuming that all of the churches that he is writing to, they have elders. Okay, you guys are getting it. Here we go. Uh, to all the churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, which Peter is writing to in 1 Peter 5, he says, I exhort the elders among you and Every single church that Paul planted, Acts 14, 23 says this, and when they had appointed elders in those churches, they end up moving on, okay? So if you're taking notes, jot this down. There is a universal existence of elders in the New Testament church. 
okay? A universal existence of elders in the New Testament church. And, and the strange thing is our, our, our culture, church culture, about 100 years ago kind of began to veer away from this being just a normal thing. Right? If you go back 100 years from that up until the early church fathers, it was a normal thing. Churches had them. It was the practice because it is so clear in the scriptures that churches should have elders. Okay, So the church is supposed to have them, but what is an elder? Okay, Again, this is a really important question for us to consider this morning, for, for us to look at, because many of us were raised in a church government structure that is very different than the one um, we're going to talk about today. Uh, many of us found ourselves in, in a church government structure, uh, which was more like a CEO model. There was a lead pastor or a senior pastor, uh, and, and he was kind of at the top. And what he said went. He told everybody what to do. He was at the top. That is the CEO model. Um, if you disagreed with him, uh, he would, you know, trade you to the Episcopalians or something. Like you just, you didn't agree, you didn't disagree with him. You listened to what he said. He called all the shots that we, some of us were raised in that type of church government. Other, others of us were raised in a uh, deacon-led church model to where essentially you have uh, one pastor who serves as the sole and only elder, and then up underneath him, there's a group of deacons, and those deacons essentially run and rule the church. It is their vote uh, which, which counts uh, and not much else. They decide and control pretty much everything. It is that group of deacons, and they essentially tell the pastor what he can and can't do, um, so on and so forth. Others of us found ourselves in a church model that was more of a congregational-led model to where um, it was the entire congregation which had to vote. Um, and so you had to form a committee to make a committee to form uh, a vote to vote about the color of the carpet that was going in the new sanctuary. Um, and, and so some of us found ourselves in all of these different models of church leadership. And the truth is the Bible speaks clearly to um, who should run the church, who should lead the church. And it's so important because everything rises and falls on Leadership. That's right. Everything in the church rises and falls on leadership. And so how we do this and how the church is run is incredibly important. So let us take a look in this text this morning and answer the question, who is an elder? Let's take a look at verses one through three. This saying is trustworthy and true. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. As we dive into the very beginning of uh, this list or this laying out of these qualifications, the, the very first thing that we've got to notice is what is being described here is not a list of talents. An elder must be or an overseer must be uh, good with money, able to manage an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, he has to own his own business. Uh, he has to look great in a bow tie. Um, there is not a list of he needs to have these skills. Rather, this is a character quality list. That that is what it is going to go through because what Jesus is concerned with with the leaders of his church is that they have godly character. Listen, God, God doesn't need the best and the brightest to, to advance his message forward, does he? 
God, I hope not. <laughs> right? He, he doesn't need um, highly trained, highly skilled, best and brightest. And if we don't have those type of people, then, then the gospel can't go forward. That, that is not God's plan. God loves to use the lowly and the weak, but what he's looking for is not new methods, not new ways to, to get things done. Rather, God is looking for godly men of good character. Amen? And so that's exactly what this list is going to roll through. The very beginning of it says, if this saying is trustworthy and true, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, usually we think when people say, hey, I want to be in leadership, we usually associate that with being a bad thing, Right? What are, you, are you saying you want to be in charge? You, you, you just want to tell people what to do? That, that's people who aspire to leadership, right? The, the person who comes in and says, hey, I want to be in charge. Here it says this is a good thing. It's, it's a good thing for someone to aspire to this office. Here is why it's a good thing to aspire to this office because to aspire to this office is to aspire to be and lead like Christ, to empty yourself out, to pour yourself out. This isn't an office where you get to say, hey, I'd like to do that because I really enjoy when people listen to me. I really like telling people what to do. This is an office that says, I really want to do this because I want to empty out my whole life for other people. I want to lay myself low and be the first servant. That, that's why it says it's a good thing for someone to aspire to do this. It's a good thing for someone to want to give their whole life away uh, to Jesus by giving their whole life away to the people in the local church. Now, here it says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, here's what we need to understand. The Bible uses some terms interchangeably, okay? Here are the terms that the Bible uses interchangeably. Overseer, bishop, or pastor, or overseer, okay? So overseer, bishop, pastor, that, that's all the same thing. It's talking about one specific office. That is the office of elder. So sometimes it will, it will refer to overseer. Um, that's because it was written to people who were Greek-speaking uh, people who understood the word overseer to be an official government position, um, when it uses the word elder, that, that's kind of appealing to the Jewish people who would have come from a very family-centered, family-oriented culture to where the leader or the person in charge of the family was the elder. Okay, so it uses those terms interchangeably uh, to, again, refer to one office. That is the office of what, uh, in, in our common nomenclature, we say pastor. Okay, and so you can say pastor, elder, overseer. It's all the same thing. So this is a public office in the church. That's what an elder is. So this saying is trustworthy and true. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So what is an elder? An elder, uh, eldership is a public office within the church held by, listen, a group of men, okay? It is a public office within the church that is held by a group of men. This is what we call a plurality of eldership. Every single time you study eldership in the Bible, when you look at the New Testament model of church leadership, there is a plurality of leaders. It is not one guy at the top. Rather, it is several men who are co-equals working together and laboring in the church. Just listen to this. Acts 14, 23. And they appointed 
elders, plural, Acts 20, 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church, Titus 1, 5. Appoint in every town elders, as I have directed you, 1 Timothy 4, 14. When the elders laid their hands upon you, James 5, 14. If anyone is sick among you, let the Elder, okay, just making sure you guys are still out there. Elders lay their hands upon you, 1 Peter 5, 1, 2. So I exhort the elders among you to tend the flock. This is God's ordained plan. It is a plurality of leaders. Listen to this if you're taking notes. God ordained a plurality of elders to protect the church, to protect the pastors and their family and create an environment for deeper spiritual growth, okay? So this public office, this group of men is to be that, a group. It is protect the church, okay? What happens if I lose my mind and I start veering off? Exactly. <laughs> we, we need a group of men who, who are co-equal with me who can say, stop, don't do that. The bridge is out. I mean, I mean listen, as, as we have watched the news over the years, we have seen pastor fail, pastor fail, pastor fail. They've, they've failed morally, they, they've failed financially, they failed sexually. And if you get down to the root of the problem, it was truly a lack of real, honest accountability. That if many of those pastors would have had a group of godly men around them, other elders, other pastors, to help shoulder the burden, maybe they wouldn't have got so burned out and been tempted. If they did get burned out and tempted, they would have had that group of guys who could have called them out. And even if that pastor still continued to go down that road and he did disqualify himself, there was a group of godly men ready right there with their hands already on the reins that could continue to drive the ship so the church didn't explode. So God ordained for there to be a plurality of leadership to protect the church, to protect the pastor, and to create an environment for deeper spiritual growth. As, as different men come onto the elder board, they, they bring a different skill set, they, they bring different sensitivities, they bring uh, different areas of expertise. And so as the elder board grows and becomes more dynamic, so the church grows and becomes more dynamic. Okay? So, in addition, this board is to be a group of men. Again, please take a look at the biblical evidence. God chose fathers to lead his nation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All the prophets and priests in the Old Testament were men. God chose male kings to rule over Jerusalem. In the New Testament, Jesus chose 12 disciples that were men. And Paul gives clear instruction that male eldership is what is to be over the church, okay? I am not naive into the context into which I say and make these type of remarks that elders, the, the office of eldership is reserved for only men. So I will let the Apostle Paul uh, make this call uh, in this very text. Look at, uh, just cut your eyes over uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 11, listen to this. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Now, before you start throwing stuff at me, here's what you have to understand. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we, he's talking about every Christian everywhere, may lead a peaceful and quiet life. 
The Apostle Paul is not a sexist just telling women to be quiet. Rather, he just said every Christian everywhere should learn to be quiet. As a matter of fact, we just walked through 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians where he declares that all Christians should aspire to lead a quiet life. So, he, so, so, so before you, you know, listen, he, he is saying, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, pause right there. Do we have women in the back teaching our children right now? Yes. Uh, at Bible studies that we do here at the church, do we allow women to teach? Yes, we absolutely do. So now are we disobeying the Bible? No. Very good. You guys are smart. Here. As you go from chapter two to chapter three, here's what you need to understand. When Paul was writing this, there were no chapter divisions. Paul doesn't say end of chapter two, now chapter three. The chapter divisions were put in later so that we could find the text. So you have to see this as one thought. He doesn't stop there. So in Paul's mind, as he's writing this to Timothy as an instruction to the church, he is saying, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Jump down to three, chapter three. This saying is trustworthy and true. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer. So a woman not being able to teach or exercising authority over a man is directly connected to eldership in the church. Okay, so that doesn't mean, ladies, a creepy guy, grocery store, hey, get in my van, right? You have to listen to him because you cannot exercise authority over man. That is absolutely not, amen, what the Apostle Paul is saying. Rather, he's saying within the church, God's design as his design for the home, men are to lead the home, women are to help their husband as he leads the home. The same way in the church, men are to lead the church and women are to come alongside the men and help them lead. So here at Gospel Community Church, women are able to function in every, every, every area of ministry that we have here at the church except for the office of eldership, okay? Now, if you have more questions about that, please ask me. Let's continue on in our text. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. This is um, basically the heading of the whole thing. So he's going to list several other character qualities, um, but this is the heading over the whole section. This is the junk drawer term um, that if you followed this guy around, you wouldn't be able to get anything on him. If, if you watched him live his life, it would be evident, clear, very simple that this is a lover and follower of Jesus. Okay, he, he's, he's above reproach. That's, that's what this term means. And again, it becomes as the heading over the whole rest of the text. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife. Now, at this point, if you read the commentaries on this text, they, they spin out of control about husband of one wife. So, uh, you know, he has to be married. Uh, he can have never been divorced, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, so, so there's heated debate, whatever. That's not what we're here to do today. Let me tell you what it means. Uh, it means a one-woman man, okay? To say that he is the husband of one wife means that this elder is a one-woman man. He, he's not the guy who's uh, addicted to pornography. He's not a flirt. Um, he, he, he's not, um, you know, hanging out in the back of the church just waiting to talk to all the gals. He, he is for his wife, loves her, serves her, and is all about her. That, that's what an elder must be. He must be a husband of one wife. He must be sober-minded, self-controlled, 
and respectable. This is, an elder must be able to keep a cool head. I've sat in meetings. Um, listen, when you lead as a leader, you make hard calls. You, you have to make decisions. And a lot of times people are not happy with those decisions that you make. You then have to sit in meetings with those people. And sometimes they are very grumpy with you. Um, and they call you names uh, and they accuse you of things that you never did. And what an elder can't do in that meeting, what an elder can't do in those settings is if somebody is poking him in the chest, he can't punch them in the mouth. What an elder has to do is to lead in a calm, sober-minded, and godly, yet firm way. That's what an elder is, and that's what an elder does. He is sober-minded, he is self-controlled, and respectable. This idea of being respectable means that he is well-arranged, meaning other men look to him and how his life is set up, and they want to be like that. Younger dudes can look up to this guy and see that his life is well arranged, it's well put together, and they can seek to emulate him as a leader. He is hospitable, meaning this does not mean that uh, every elder has to have everyone in the church over to his house for dinner. An elder does not have to take every single member out for coffee, okay? Um, that, that would be hundreds of cups of coffee per year and we would lose our minds and you know, have a nervous breakdown if we had to do that. This idea of being hospitable is that he welcomes in the outsider. Okay? So an elder must be passionate about lost people. The elders of the church must be those who um, have a burning desire for lost people and they lead the church on mission um, as we seek to uh, let people who don't know Jesus find out about Jesus. So an elder must be hospitable. In addition, he must be, I'm still at the end of verse two, able to teach. This does not mean that an, every single elder preaches every week. So again, this is a unique Sunday. Um, but what it does mean is that he's able to teach. Every elder must be solid in his theology. Um, every elder must be able to answer people's questions. When, when someone comes and says, I just lost my husband, what do I do? Uh, the doctor says it's cancer, what do I do? Um, I just lost my job, please help. The elder must be able to go to his Bible, take that person to a text, explain that text, and give them comfort from God's word. He is able to teach. That's what that means. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. There are, there are two ideas here when it talks about not being a drunkard or a lover of money. This is the idea that he is not an idol worshiper. Okay? He's not a drunkard seeking comfort in alcohol um, he, he's not uh, seeking comfort in money. Um, he, he's not addicted to substances. Rather, he's addicted to Jesus Christ. And so that's what an elder must be. Not a drunkard and not a lover of money. Not violent, not quarrelsome. Uh, so this means an elder is not a contrarian. You know, man, it sure is a lovely day. Not really. <laughs> okay, well, uh, here, here's 20 bucks. Well, I really needed 25. Oh, okay, well. There you go. So, so not violent. He, uh, the, the, an elder is not the dude who's picking fights in the QT parking lot, okay? He's, he's not quarrelsome. He's not... So, so this is 
An elder, verses four through five, I told you we're moving fast. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He can't have a life marked by chaos. Elders don't have a life that is marked by chaos. Always late, always getting a flat tire. House is a total disaster. Dishes stacked up in the sink, always behind on bills. Uh, they're they're in, in their yard, you know, the weeds up to your knees. The gutters are, are falling off the house. The, the, an, an elder must have a well-managed um, home. He, he must be a loving father to his children, a, a loving husband. To his wife, he must have submissive children. This does not mean that they have to be perfect little angels, but they can't be terrible little demons either. <laughs> it means that when the elders' children are coming over, people don't scare, people aren't scared and go hide their valuables. Okay, <laughs> he must have submissive children. It's a very interesting question. He must man. I'm back in verse four. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? That is a rhetorical question, meaning he can't. He has shown himself unfit because he is not managing his household well. Therefore, he can't care for the church. This, again, is showing you a little bit about what an elder does. He cares for the church. His, his heart bleeds for the church. That's what an elder is, and that's what an elder does. The big idea here is that he has good personal character, meaning he has, you know, he's above reproach, and he has good character in his home. Next, we will see he must have good character in the community, verses 6 through 7. He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit or fall into condemnation of the devil. He can't be a recent convert uh, because eldership is not a place where you try out somebody in leadership. Eldership is a place for, for dudes who are, um, who are battle-hardened, men who are seasoned, guys who have um, sat through hard meetings, men who have wept over the church, laid their hands on people, prayed for people, have seen members come, have seen members go, have, have celebrated when new babies are born, um, and have wept when pe with people as they had lost loved ones. That is what the elders are, so, that, so they can't be a recent convert. Verse 7, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he might not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So if you go to this guy's co-workers and you say to them, hey, did you know that this guy's an elder at the church? They don't go, are you kidding me? They go, oh yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I've seen his life. I've seen his ministry. So here's the summary if you're taking notes. Elders model Christian maturity and are to be followed and imitated not because they are perfect, but because they exhibit Christ-like attributes, okay? So, they are to be followed and imitated, not because they are perfect, but because they exhibit Christ-like attributes, just as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, okay? That is eldership. So, so what do elders do? What do elders do? Well, it's clear here in this text that they teach, 
That's who they are, right? But what do they do? Well, one of the things that's clear in this text about what they do is that they teach. So the elders are responsible for the vast majority of the preaching and teaching that happens on Sunday morning. In addition, listen to this text from 1 Peter. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Elders do these three things. There are three main tasks. They teach, they oversee, meaning they're responsible for um, the systems that get put in place in the church, and they shepherd. That was a clear call to shepherd the flock. That means they care for the people in the church. They pray for them. They make sure there are things like benevolence there for those who are in need. They, they do hospital visits, they, right? So elders teach, they oversee the church, and they shepherd the flock. So that's what an elder is, and that's what an elder does. Let me close with this. David Patton uh, has been at this church uh, from day one. Uh, He has served in almost every area of ministry in this church that there is to serve in. Uh, He has watched your kids in the back. He shook your hand at the door. He has uh, stood on this stage and, and preached Um, He has completed a very lengthy deacon process. So if you don't know how that goes, um, it is a lengthy process of theological training and then personal life application of that theology. Uh, It usually takes anywhere from six months to a year to go through our deacon process. He completed that process. After that, he um, aspired to the office of elder and said, hey, I I want to continue moving forward. Um, And so, again, it was another uh, two-year process where we did more theologically intensive um, application of of, of those type of doctrines in in his life. In addition, myself and other leaders in the church watched him live a life above reproach for for many years. And then here, just uh, in the last few months, we reached out to pastors that, um, that we know and that we respect that are in the same church planting network that we're in. And we ask those pastors to meet with him and also to vet him on whether or not uh, he should be an elder here at this church. And so they came back and unanimously said, we believe, um, these other pastors came back and said, we believe uh, that David Patton should be an elder at Gospel Community Church and is eligible. So through our deacon process, through our elder process, uh, by the vetting of leaders here in this church, uh, and by my own personal vetting as I have walked with him and seen him live his life in his home here at the church and at his workplace, uh, I believe wholeheartedly uh, that he should be an elder here at this church. Here's what I want to say just before I call them up. A few words about my dear friend, David. You can trust him and follow him because he loves you. Amen? We can love, follow, and submit to David's leadership because he loves us and has demonstrated that repeatedly time and time again. If this is you in the room, you can say amen. Your furniture has been loaded on his trailer as he has uh, toted it to your new house that you are moving into. Your grass has been cut by his lawnmower. Amen. His hand has rested on your shoulder as he has prayed for you. He has sat in your living room or you have sat in his as he has challenged your faith. 
David Patton has preached sermons here on this stage that has brought you back to Jesus and the love of the gospel. David has counseled you through a pain and heartache. Amen. He has talked with many of you, especially you men, about your addictions and about the problems you're going through. He and his wife have met with you and talked with you about your marriage and has counseled you intensely. He has sat relentlessly in meetings and made hard calls that has kept this church afloat. David Patton has made call after call that has led you into spiritual growth, mostly like whether you know it or not, that those meetings behind closed doors where we have to make those hard calls, he has made those calls and has led this church um, onto spiritual growth. David Patton is not a perfect man. He will be the first one to tell you, but he is one of the best men that I know. And I would trust my family, my life, and my church to him. So let's welcome him to the stage. Y'all can do better than that. I've asked some men in the church to come. Uh, Some of the other deacons that I talked to uh, earlier, would you guys come? Um, And then Greg and Ben, if you guys would come. You got to move like up front. Yeah, yeah, you got to get up. There you go. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) So Greg and Ben, if you guys will come up the mic so you can pray and everybody will hear you. Um, All these guys here are on our lead deacon board. Um, These are our seasoned saints. Um, We we lovingly call them our our seasoned saints. They make up an advisory board uh, that that has kind of helped us navigate uh, this church as as we have kind of moved through uh, different seasons in the church. And so I call these men to the stage uh, specifically um, for those reasons. And so, um, guys, I would just encourage you as they pray, you guys just, just pray along. Uh, with them as we install uh, David Patton into eldership uh, here at the church. So, paper, rock, scissors for it. Ben's going first. Let's, All right. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the work you have done in this man's life. Thank you for the years of growth that you have brought him to this point in his life and. Uh, and we rejoice with them in it. We rejoice with you in, in the work that you've done by your spirit in this saint. And uh, we are thankful for the benefits of it. Uh, and we get to watch uh, your masterful hand in his life. Uh, thank you for his, his love for us. Thank you for his love, first of all, for you, for uh, countless hours of sacrifice And Father, I pray a spirit of protection upon him and upon his family. Uh, We pray a hedge of protection about them and uh, as they serve and as they continue to serve. I pray, God, that you would uh, continue to show him his approval is found in you and that you would uh, allow him to powerfully uh, submit himself uh, to your lordship continually as, as he leads and to not feel the pressure of leadership, but just the pressure of following you, uh, as we all sense that. Uh, God, I pray that you would help him to lead from the inside out as your spirit works within him, and that um, you would allow him to to lead our church 
just in the, in the spirit of gentleness and strength and uh, certainty of your faithfulness, uh, that he would continue to rest upon your abilities and not his own as he continues to submit himself to your lordship and to the, the lordship of your word, and that the gospel would continue to go forth powerfully in and through his life as he leads, uh, as he follows you, and that that would be a, a process that is continuous as he continues to lead from the inside out. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for the Patton family. We thank you for David, the man of God that he has risen to be. We thank you for young men of this caliber that hear your call and are not afraid of your call or your anointing upon their life. I thank you for this family that surrounds him and their faithfulness to you and to him. For we know that without the support of a family, you cannot be successful in the office of elder. I pray, dear God, that your anointing would rest more heavily upon him than ever before. I pray, dear God, that you would continue to guide him as he rightly divides the word of truth and leads us as Gospel Community Church in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I pray, dear God, that you would give him strength as he raises his family and helps us to raise and guide ours. I pray, dear Lord, that you would use him mightily. Lord, for dreams and visions that will come to him, for your hand upon him, for your strength in his life, for you to receive all the glory and honor forever for the work that you've done in him and through him. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Give it up for him one more time. I am truly humbled and honored to be standing here before you as you show and have continued to show your love and support for me and my family over the years. As Kirk said, I've been walking alongside many of you for going on five years now, some of you four, some of you three, um, and so on. And, and so it's been a, a joy for you to, some of you to sit in my living room as, as we talked. It, it's been a joy to serve alongside many of you um, in the band, moving furniture to a, a, a new house, uh, doing projects in the city. Um, I count it joy to serve this church and to be a part of God's church in this local body. Um, I want to thank Lindsay, uh, my beautiful wife, um, for your love, for your support. Uh, I never knew uh, grace could be shown so much through a, a woman um, than I've received from you. Um, your support means everything to me. Um, your words of encouragement build me up. Um, your words of rebuke uh, keep me straight. Um, if you don't 
know or if you don't realize the work of an elder's wife is tough. Um, we've learned that over the years watching Chelsea McDonald as she has served um, Kirk tirelessly as he has worked tirelessly. Um, and, and Lindsay has served me tirelessly uh, as we together have worked tirelessly for this church. And so thank you. Um, I also, they're gone now. Uh, I, I'm thankful for my children. Uh, the Bible says in the Psalms that children are a blessing from the Lord. Um, and blessed is the man whose quiver is full. My quiver officially holds three, and it is full. Um, and so I am a very, very blessed man. They teach me to take life a little less seriously, uh, to, to, uh, to giggle more and, and to worship heartily. Uh, and so I'm thankful uh, for them. I'm standing here today because God has called me and I have aspired reluctantly. Um, as I look back over my life, I can see God continuing to push me and push me toward leadership in his church and, and my flesh to continue to run away from it. At the first church where Lindsay and I actually met 18 years ago, can we just say that? Lindsay and I have been together for 18 years. That girl was 14 years old, and I can say that because my kids aren't in the room right now. Um, <laughs> And, and so we, we, we met at that church in Jonesboro, um, and it was at that church at, at, the, at the age of 18 that I actually was able to serve on the administrative board there, which for them was technically like the leadership team or, or an elder board. Um, there I also served for a summer as a youth intern, as I think everybody has at one point in their life, um, and, and I was able to preach my first sermon it was there and actually during that time when a pastor encouraged me to go to seminary and become a pastor where Lindsay told me, I'm, I'm not cut out to be a pastor's wife. So we can all laugh because she is now. Never mind. Um, from there at our next church, uh, I, I joined the local missions team and was ascending into leadership of that um, as well. And so again, every church I've been at, every turn I've made, I have been pushed hard at times by God um, into these roles. And it's funny, again, as I started here at Gospel Community Church, this is for Charles and, and Kirk, um, my motto was, I'm a Indian, not a chief. Um, I'm humbled how God can form a lump of unusable, sinful, hard-hearted clay into something usable, righteous because of Him, uh, and, and, and willing to give my life away to Him. And so that's really where I wanted to aim my, my, my talk this morning, and it's going to be brief because I know we're all hungry and can smell the smells. And so I just, I just want to tell you what I'm confronted with, what the world will say and has been saying to me. Why would you give your life away? Why would you spend so much time to the church? 
at the church, with the church, with the church people. Um, we've talked numerous times here at Gospel Community Church that we give our life away to Jesus by giving it away to the local church. We believe that those two are one. And so my first point in, in why I would give my life away uh, to Jesus and therefore to his church is because we are one with Christ as Acts 9 uh, tells us, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, which would have been early Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, at this time, Saul was killing Christians. He was binding Christians and taking them into imprisonment. He, as a Jew, was wanting to stop this new way. And Jesus stops him in his tracks, knocks him off of his horse, blinds him and says, no, 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 no. You are not attacking my people. You're attacking me. Well, there's two things here. There's the church and there's Christ. And Christ is saying, no, 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 that's, that's me. Those are my kids. They're one with me. So, so how do we draw this back together, back, back to my point? Jesus so aligns himself with the church that in order to give our life away to Christ, we also give it away to the local church. Paul would go on to say later in, in Colossians that Christ is the head of the church. How, how do we live as a body? How do we go forward as Christians without our head? Now, popular culture, especially through songs, that's one of the things I dislike about country music so much, is their usage of the terms like gospel and church. This is my church or saltwater gospel that takes Christ completely away from what, what a church is. But Paul here is saying, no, no, no. He is the head. Therefore, me saying this right now, I love this church and I want to give my life away to it because I love Christ and I want to give my life away to him. Number two, we give our life away to the church because Christ gave his away for us. Ephesians 5.25, a verse that many of us are familiar with. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Who did Christ give himself up for? Wasn't it me? Didn't he die in my place and for my sins? Yes. Collectively as the church. Collectively to redeem his children. Now, 
I am and will be a, a lay pastor. What that means is, is I will be uh, working my job throughout the week, 40 plus hours, and, and then at nights, normally after the kids have gone to bed, and on weekends, I, I, I'm putting my um, um, hand to the grinding wheel, working heartily for the Lord as much as I can in the time that is allotted to me. I, I don't have all day to be able to do this. So some would ask, why do you get off work to go back to work? Why do you spend so much time, free time, your time, giving your life away for free? The church doesn't pay you, do they? They don't pay your bills. I've been paid more, and this, this verse illustrates that, I've been paid more than I could ever earn through Christ dying in my place and for my sins. Therefore, I don't have to be paid by the church to serve the church. It's not monetary compensation that we seek. And, and, and many of us in here, well, all of us except Kirk, volunteer here in this church. We serve the church. We're a part of a church that calls us into not only Sunday gatherings, but also community group. Not only community group, but serving in the community. And we're not compensated by that, but by the blood of Christ. The ransom that was paid for us in our place and for our sins that Paul would be able to say in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, and 10, for God has not destined you for wrath. For God has not destined you for wrath, but to obtain eternal life through Christ Jesus. So not only have, am I earning the greatest salary here on earth that I could ever earn, but my retirement is out of this world. I stole that from somebody. That's not mine. Um, my retirement is out of this world. My eternity is with the Lord. Therefore, I can give my time away. Therefore, I can give away my talents. Therefore, I can give away my worldly treasure because I've gained already all that I will ever need for eternal life, as have you. My last point, so we can get to lunch. <clears throat> we give our life away to the church because our worth is not found in our strength. Hallelujah. Amen. For God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I can give my life away to the church because the church doesn't need my resume. I can give my life away from the, to the church because it's not based on my past performance, my past goodness, my past strengths, but on all of that that Christ makes complete in me. 
a verse that has become near and dear to, to Lindsay and myself throughout our time of sanctification in the Lord, throughout our time of growing in God's grace, growing in the knowledge of Him is this. It's 2 Corinthians 12, 9. If you've sat in my living room, if you've sat around me for more than 15 or 20 minutes, I probably told it to you. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul goes on to say, therefore, I will boast all the more in my weakness. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How opposite is that to what the world preaches to you? Do you have a boss that you can never please? God says that I am pleased to choose you out of your weakness. Do you have a dad who you never feel loved by? The father says, come to me, you who are weak and weary. I know that you'll never measure up. I know that you will never love me as you ought. I know that you are not strong beneath that facade that you put on. I know your past. I know your sin. I know your pain. And it's through your weakness that you more and more realize the power behind my grace. Knowing the depth of your sin reveals the beauty of your Savior. That, my friends, is why I will give my life away to this church. I don't have to be strong. Christ is strong through me. In counseling, I don't have to save you. It's the word of God that is the salvation to men. I can stand up here today knowing that I will fail. I will stumble. Sometimes I will fall flat on my face. And Christ's grace will pick me up and carry me on. And there is no other place in the world where that is most realized other than in His church. May God bless Gospel Community Church as we grow closer to Him through walking nearer and nearer with Him and one another. As a final thought, I was thinking, well, what can we do going forward? How can I charge the body? Well, well, one, I charge you to give your life away to Christ, giving it away to the local church. Uh, and number two, and quite importantly, I call you to pray. We, we talked about this the, the last time I was able to preach. Pray these two things for Kirk and I. Pray them for our Deacon board, pray them for the members of Gospel Community Church. Pray it for Gospel Community Church that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. We want the gospel of God's good news and grace to go forward through Fayetteville, through Fayette County and beyond. We want this city to be so radically changed by God's love and by His grace 
that people don't recognize it anymore. May the word of the Lord speed ahead and be honored. And may we be protected from wicked and evil men, from the evil one. As Kirk said, the temptation in, in leadership is great. It's great to, to fall because the evil one wants to destroy the church. And how do you destroy the church? But by through destroying its leadership. We need your protection. We covet your prayers. And the Lord God has called you into his mission to pray, to be a praying people, to be a people who are on their knees for the advancement of his gospel and the protection of his people. Um, I'm excited about this new chapter in our church. I'm excited about what our church is doing, how we are growing in our knowledge of the word and how we are sharing our life together with others in this community, making not only our mark on the community, but growing a legacy of faith here and beyond in the circles of influence that you have. And so uh, let me lead us in prayer and then we'll go to our time of response. Father God, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. We love you because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in our place and for our sins, that we would be made new in him, having once been dead to sin. We love you because you've chosen this motley crew of people to represent you as lights into a dark city and a dark world. Not because of our strength, but because through our weakness, you were shown as good and powerful. Would you use us to speed ahead the word of God here in this city. As it has changed us, as it has reconciled us, may we be reconcilers for you. And may your word go out through this church as effective. As the power of God for salvation to those who believe. And how do they believe unless they haven't heard. And so may they hear your word and may it change their hearts. Uh, and, And Lord, may you protect Kirk. May you protect myself. May you protect this church from wicked and evil men who would want to distort your gospels of grace, who would want to lure and tempt your sheep from the flock. Protect us from the evil one, from evil spirits and demons, from the devil himself, who would want to destroy your work in this church by destroying this church. Father, protect us through your spirit who you've indwelt in us who believe. May your blessings fall upon Gospel Community Church afresh, day by day, drawing us into a closer and more intimate knowledge of you and to the community that you've placed us in. I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.